0: this is a piece by a guy named larry taunton larry who never heard of her what sort of a man is he pick from
1: bama
2: a man like any other but more so
1: Well, i thought he was dead this is the larry alex taunton show let's light this candle
2: Welcome into the Larry Alex Taunton Show. I am Amy Beth Shaver. Larry Alex Taunton, how are you, sir? Good,
0: good. Haven't seen you for a while.
2: I have been gone.
0: Yeah, I was expecting you to be like really tanned, you know, coming back from. I
2: feel like I am, but.
0: The midst of a hurricane. (laughs)
2: Probably not, you know. Um, We did sit out on the beach when we could, we did take walks when we could, but we, a lot of our plans were washed away by the outer bands of the hurricane.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I'm sorry that it played out that way. Uh, it sounds like a Griswold vacation. It was a gr- <laughs> let's Let's vacation into the hurricane. Let's go
2: do the hurricane. We have these beautiful first four days are unbelievably No beautiful. wonder those rooms
0: were cheap. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and there were, you know, this great house and the owners were like, oh, we're so sorry. And I'm like, well, it's fine. We started watching The Crown. We got a lot of good movies. We love to read, right? And then we got to see Beautiful Sea Life. However, The Flat Tire... Um, the showing up to the stores that because they close at six o'clock in the Bahamas, just by the way, in case you go to the Abacos. Really? Uh, yeah, they're done. They're like, no, we're done. And I'm like, What I need coffee. What do you mean you're done? <laughs> <laughs> so we had to drive to another store. We're like, are you open?
0: Island time. <laughs>
2: because Chris is like, our whole vacation depends on whether or not you guys have coffee. So they did. It was fine. It was fine. Things at home go haywire when but we're
0: in, gone. But in truth, actually, the, we it, had a the hurricane did stone. not wipe out your whole vacation. It didn't
2: wipe out our whole vacation. It just made for good stories. We did get to see peacocks as a result of all the rain because they like to walk around down there after the rain. Did you know this?
0: I, I didn't know this. I, my knowledge of peacocks is limited to NBC. Listen. you know, So uh, I really don't know much about peacocks. I was
2: about today years old when I learned that peacocks like rain. And they love to walk around. But they that's common in that part of the world. Mm. And so we enjoyed it. Um, I would
0: not have associated peacocks with the Bahamas.
2: Never, ever. I mean, would you have ever thought? And look, we were not at some shishi resort. Um, this is a this is a vacation you need to be married 25 years before you can actually take.
0: So you weren't at Hedonist Island?
2: we were not, <laughs> were not at one of those islands where you're like, what is going on? We were at a very quaint, beautiful... Um, really, they make their um, livelihood through fishing. And so bone fishing is amazing down there okay. um, and the sea life. And uh, so it's beautiful. Um, but they were still recovering from the 2019 Hurricane Dorian still. Mm. So, but it was great. It was absolutely wonderful to get away. Thank God. And thank God for 25 years and pray he gives us 25 more. Congratulations. So you thank you. So how are you guys? Congratulations
0: to the two of you. Great. You know, I have been loving. Lori and I both have been loving this weather, this fall weather in the South. I say this as you've been. You we know, didn't in get a, that in, in a Hurricane. <laughs> we have had spectacular weather
1: mm.
0: uh, I, every day. I find myself, you know, giving God thanks for it because you know how, how you don't. You you sometimes are not thankful for something until it's gone, right? And then you are. So I I want to enjoy every day of this gorgeous weather because obviously you know particularly here in the South we get a lot of tornadoes and storms and things like that uh, and they're coming um, this fall we'll we'll have them. So um, right now this this fall weather has just been perfect. I love this time of year. You've got football. You've got fall weather. You've got, you know, yesterday I was in a store and I could hear Christmas music in the background. And normally I kind of resent it because I'm kind of a strict rules guy about Christmas music. You don't play Christmas music until the day after Thanksgiving. That's true. It is the rule. That's right. And yet, somehow, I really liked it. I was enjoying it. So it's fabulous. And of course, we were just enjoying coffee upstairs in front of a fire you know, it's just a little crisp in the morning. Today it'll get up to eighty, you know, or right. something here in in Alabama. But our mornings, you know, you you wake up. It's about sixty degrees. It's just just enough that you need a little bit of a sweater. I love that.
2: Um, would you like to tell our amazing audience? <laughs> I,
0: I'd like why, to. Why,
2: <laughs> why you heard Christmas? Where where were you exactly?
0: I don't want to admit it. On on. I think uh, <laughs> you need to.
2: Everyone, you I need to know. I was
0: I was in Hobby Lobby. <laughs> <laughs>
2: don't know why that's funny, but I'm just, I'm impressed with you. You don't,
0: you don't, you don't picture me in Hobby Lobby, do you? I don't
2: picture you in Hobby Lobby. I picture you going to the customer service and saying, where is this?
0: Yeah, Well, I I do that constantly. Yes. Well, that is me. Okay. I am definitely that guy. I'm definitely that guy. Well, I know I didn't get him. But you got him. But I did get that pumpkin. I actually didn't go in there looking for that pumpkin. It'll, it'll crack you up what I was actually in there for. I was in there looking for a fireplace poker.
2: Okay, yes.
0: Because I thought, who carries this? Who has this? And so I had gone to a couple of secondhand stores. You know, you were very amused by this, but I, <laughs> I had gone to a couple of secondhand stores looking for one. And then I thought, well, maybe Hobby Lobby has this. And I found myself, you know, trying to call Lori and ask her who carries this kind of stuff. And so I was trying to go to find a tractor supply or anything I
2: love that store by Just the way Just to
0: be clear I could I never did find one so um but I saw that pumpkin and I thought <laughs> Amy Beth I love will it. like that I love the on pumpkin. our on our you know add a little a fall set. decor
2: I love it which by the way I love what you've done with the place Yeah well this is it, this while you we were
0: gone we we did not sit on our hands here and Lori doesn't know this yet but see that actually is some of her fall decor from uh, up from upstairs and I swiped it and I snuck it down here and I shoved him Show I like them. I like them. It's very you know, people, merry
2: and enjoyable. I,
0: our audience is very engaged, and they make a lot of comments about the background. They didn't like. They didn't like the The vertebrae lamp, the vertebrae lamp which <laughs> I love, because as a colorblind person, I'm hypersensitive to these kind of lights, mm. these kind of very bright white lights. I love that warm amber yellow light. And when I saw the, the vertebrae light, or as I call it, the sea anemone mm-hmm. light, which is what I think it's supposed to be, it, it is kind of a you know weird shape, but the glow off of it is wonderful. And I like basking in it. So I put it in, in here and we had people making comments saying, what is that thing? And it did kind of look like, you know, something Chris would be teaching med yes. students yes. with a with a long, you know, pointer and saying, "This is C 4 That's right. You don't want to break C four. I've broken C four, but anyway, um, yeah. So that's what we got going on. What well, do we have going on in the show today?
2: Well, we have something very special going on in the show today. We have David Limbaugh who's going to be joining us. Who is he? You know, I don't know. I, I really hope he'll tell us who he is. Who I mean, is because David who's Limbaugh? even heard of the name Limbaugh? I mean, really?
0: Is he? Is he? Is he related to Rush Limbaugh?
2: Quite possibly his brother. <laughs> I mean, who knew, right? He is joining us today. To discuss this book. He is discussing the resurre- resurrected Jesus, If I, line please, if I could get the word right. Uh, we're very excited about that. It's a book that he wrote with his daughter, which I need to ask him about because that's fantastic. But then he has a deeper purpose in writing all of these books, and it really is to get people into the Gospels, and that is what we need today now more than ever. So um, I I am very excited. That David he's is on. a
0: David. Of course, I know who he is. David is a character. He's a friend of mine. Just
2: in case you didn't know that he actually knew.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I actually do know who David Limbaugh is. <laughs> PSA. And uh, David is a good guy. He is uh, he is a real character. David is a, a genuinely humble guy. And um, you know one of the things that I I find very impressive about David is you know his brother of course had spectacular you know fame and um, you know had quite an influence on in, uh, on conservative thinking for a very long time in this country and um, uh, sometimes. When you have a a star in the family like that, it can cause real friction in the family. Sometimes for very legitimate reasons, because uh, you know some other family member is always having you know to deal with that in some way. And particularly if that family member is somebody who's very difficult, you know, take Aaron Rodgers, you know, for instance. His, uh what are you thinking right now? There's something in your head right now.
2: Well, no, I'm just thinking about <laughs> Aaron Rodgers with his brother and. You know, that whole thing.
0: I don't think that's what you're thinking of, but Aaron (laughs) Rodgers with his brother Jordan.
2: Yes, I do know about that. I really do.
0: Well, Aaron Rodgers, you know, of course, is, uh, you know, quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, very, very talented, very opinionated, uh, dates lots of starlets. He's an atheist. Uh, He's very outspoken about that. And his brother Jordan is just a super nice guy, apparently on a TV show called The Bachelor. Uh, he's now an announcer on uh, on sports radio. Comes off as a very humble guy, and he's a believer. You know, he's 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 a Christian, and yet the two of them, you know, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have anything to do with the rest of his family, and you know, you you see that that there's you know that kind of tension you know, going on. David is a guy who is just so proud of his uh, of his late brother. Uh, a rush and it just comes off in, uh, in any conversation with him. And, uh, David cracks me up because, uh, he had read an art, the way I got to know David was he had read an article that I had written about Tim Keller and, um, you know, the, how how Keller's become sort of a soft endorser Mm -hmm. of, um, of Marxism. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he never really comes out and you know strongly you know condemns it for what it is or socialist elements in government things of this nature and there's some kind of shoddy use of scripture in this anyway so um, David told me that he wanted to talk to me about it and we'd exchanged um, you know phone numbers and he said I'll give you a call sometime and I'd forgotten about this so I'm in South America and I answer the phone and somebody just immediately starts you know t- you know talking to me. And I was thinking, who is this? And then I realized it was it was David. And uh, i had been expecting another call, and from a from a guy related to a tech issue. And I thought, why is the tech guy calling me? Want to talk to me about Tim Keller? I thought this is very odd. And then I realized it was David Limbaugh. But you will people will enjoy, um, you know, hearing from him today.
2: Well, it'll be something special, and we're excited about it. So stay tuned, and uh, literally, you you don't want to miss this. We'll see you. We're going to take a break, and right back on the other side is David Limbaugh. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show.
1: Larry is my favorite player.
2: Welcome into the Larry Alex Taunton Show. I told you that we had a very special guest, and we do. We are joined uh, by David Limbaugh. And I am so excited about this interview. Uh, I'm excited about the book that you've written with your daughter, Kristen, and we can't wait to learn more about it. Sir, welcome.
1: Hey, thank you for having me, you guys, guys and gals.
0: I haven't seen you since Mar-a-Lago when you were um, bellying up to the bar.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think I saw you down in the basement when we were going through Melania's After we've gone through Melania's closet, we were trying to find some of those files. I don't know what the deal is. Why do they care? We're trustworthy. Why would there be an FBI uproar about you and I have had good reputations our whole lives about things like that? Why would they care?
0: I don't know, but I think it's very telling that we visit Mar-a-Lago and then the FBI raids. So um, <laughs> ah, there point. must be something that we did that uh, brought all this on President Trump.
1: Well, don't forget Eric Metaxas is there,
0: too. <laughs> True, too. And the guy with the long hair, the yeah. really long hair. I've forgotten his Who name. Who was that guy? He's a singer, Sean Foych.
2: Okay, I don't know him. He's, but
0: a, he's a singer.
2: You know what? He made it to Mar-a-Lago, and I did not. And you so. talk
0: about epic. We were talking earlier about epic mullets. He has an epic epic mullet. And he has the confidence to wear it. He, and So he pulls it off.
2: I mean, this shocks me that the mullet is coming back. Have you noticed that the mullet is coming back?
1: It's really not in my realm of possible scenarios, personally. So no.
0: <laughs> Did you ever have a mullet, David?
1: No. I mean, I don't even I didn't know for sure what it is, but all I know is my dad used to complain about the beetle hair. And our hair was way longer, way longer than the beetles ever thought about.
0: You know, was a reverse mullet. Theirs was, you know, long in the front. It, uh, you know, where, where, you know, you you had to kind of pull your hair. Uh, it's like uh, curtain bangs. Yeah. I like that. I've never you heard like that before. Well, it was a,
2: you know, business in the front, party in the back. And they were all about the curtain bang, you know, so you could see their eyes or Boom. not.
1: There oh, you are. Do you realize how much longer your hair is right now than the Beatles were? <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking when they started. Now, when they got, when they got going, into the Hari Krishna days and uh, Maharishi Maya Yogi, then it got longer, but that's because they had more time to grow. You
0: know, you know it's, it's it's funny, David. I grew up in a military household, and the barbers. You know, we were my brother and I. We were um, we went to a, a barber shop always on base, and of course, as a little kid, I didn't care. But when I started now, to get into high school, it mattered to me. And those guys know one cut they know one. the bowl, And so if you say, well, no, not about just a buzz military cut. And so you say, you know, I'd like to keep my sideburns. They'll put them in an envelope for you. You know, so (laughs) this is, this is, this is what they do. David, let's talk about this book that you have out, The Resurrected Jesus, co-authored with your daughter, Kristen. What, what has inspired the two of you to write this book?
1: Well, I've uh, this is my eleventh book. I uh, talked to Kristen, who had, who's written op eds for Fox News website. She's very much a spirit filled Christian and prayer warrior, and she's been into it way earlier than I was ever into it. And she's kind of been an inspiration to me, her how strong her faith is. I've been Larry. I've always been on the, the head side of it and not as much on the heart side, and and long to have a better balance. I've never talked to you about that, I don't think, about where you fit on that spectrum. It's not that I think I'm an intellectual. I just mean my orientation is to study the Bible and theology more than it is to uh, get close and intimate with Christ, and I, I envy those people who who do that more, who are a little more charismatic than I am, but she has been, and um, So I asked her, knowing that she would like to, she's a good writer, and I asked her if she would like to join me in this book, and she just, oh man, she just jumped at it. She couldn't believe I asked her. And then, and that was probably a year and a half before I really acted on it. And then when I acted on it, I think it shocked her that I would really, not that I'd fulfill my promise, but just that it would ever come to fruition. So uh, we did it together, not in, in the sense of you writing one chapter, I write another, but uh, see, I've never had a collaborator or a ghostwriter or anything like that. I've had great editors, but that's it. So I do all my research and writing. So I don't, I've never thought that, I mean, I think a book ought to have one voice. So I don't think the idea of interchanging chapters would work. I did it the way I've always done the books. I did the research, writing. And, 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 but then once I would do the initial draft of a section, give it to her. She would edit. She'd give her insights back. And she would make her contributions. So she did, she contributed a lot to the text. And, and I I really think this too, and I, I want to get your idea as a, as a writer on this. I think sometimes as a columnist, and I wrote a syndicated column for over 20 years, I sometimes felt my columns were flat. I was phoning it in. And part of, the, one thing I thought about really superior columnists, I always thought I was capable of doing it, but I, I thought... And sometimes I did, but to do it twice a week every week, because you have to, not because you want to. Um, it, it got to be a grind, and I thought that the really good columns are the people can think outside the box. They're imaginative. And I think one way to think outside the box is to ask yourself questions and instead of just being hurrying for a deadline. Well, if you have a collaborator, if you have somebody reading yourself and then firing you questions back, that necessarily forces you to think outside the box to that extent, and you might be a little more expansive in your explanations, a little more creative and imaginative. So I don't know why I got off on that tangent except to say that aspect of collaboration I found to be rewarding. But the one thing that we did do here, which is different from my previous books, is those books, all, the first four Christian-themed books, my, six of my books are political, five Christian. The first four Christian ones... Um, I basically went through the text and either stated it verbatim, chapter and verse, or and then interspersed commentary and insights. This time we added prayer because Kristen is such, has such a facility for prayer. So every three or four pages, whatever, every section, hey, Kristen, I think we need a prayer on this. And she immediately comes up with something that I think is very profound and moving, heartfelt and legitimate. And... I think those prayers interspersed in boxes, they break it up, they they help the pacing of the book, and they also help readers interact with the text uh, and, and become closer with Scripture and closer with the text of our book, which is about Scripture. It's not Scripture, it's about Scripture. So anyway, I'll stop this run on answer so you can ask me another question I can ignore and
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, David, uh, that all fascinates me because I, I don't know about the uh, the audience, but I love talking about the art of writing. I mean, I love talking with other authors about how they write um, because it is art and there is everybody I find has their own. Methodologies, you know, I'm I'm talking with a uh, you know friend of mine, Churchill biographer, you know Paul Reed. You know, how did Paul go about researching that mammoth third volume to the William Manchester series, The Last Lion? Or talking with you, or talking with a guy like Eric Metaxas, or you know, so many different authors that I know, and they all have a different way of going about doing it. But you know, I was very fortunate um, to be. To be taught by great writers, Pulitzer Prize nominee, uh, Forrest McDonald, great historian, who was painstaking in the way that you went about doing your writing and his expectations yeah. for how you do that. I, I think of a professor of mine and uh, you know I was writing my thesis who would march you to the um, you know, the library, you know, with I'll never forget her doing this. She took my thesis and she said, "Let's go to the library." So we go to the library, and she looks through my footnotes and she says, "Go get me book X." Mm. And so she was checking the footnotes, not because she doubted them, but it but it it made me aware that I had to be precise because she was taking. I would bring her the book, she would then flip to the page that I've referenced and then look at the thesis to see if I've properly referenced the book, or was I padding, you know, my. uh, my bibliography, you know, or something like this. So I I love talking to guys and the way they go about doing it. But David, I have to tell you, I I think to your point, what you were saying, you have to have a mental image of someone you know, who is representative of your target audience. If you if you don't know your target, you will hit nothing. And so if I'm thinking of, you know, hitting you know, the average housewife, I have a mental image of that. Would she get this language? Would she be interested in this? Would she like this? If I'm going for, you know, some real intellectual type, I have a mental image of like that me. person. And that, like <laughs> you, and, but then I have readers, you know, I have guys like you that I would say, hey, David, do you mind reading this article? And does this resonate with you? Or, you know, does it just just feel like this this doesn't at all? And I feel like you're, what you're describing, the way you and Kristen have gone about writing this book feels to me the only way I could know that a collaboration could really work because I'm with you. I I would think it would be very difficult to be going, you know, if, if a book, um, if you're going chapter by chapter with different people, it, it does feel a little discombobulated, I think. But the way you've gone about doing this, uh, it feels to me like this is a, a very good way to do it, and your your daughter, the sense I get of of Kristen is that she's a nice balance um to you not not better, not worse just just a balance and would you agree with that way
1: worse, but yes, but she provides a good balance she's subordinate she's she's deferential i'm the dad I'm just kidding no i 'm kidding she's better <laughs> no she oh, told that's exactly right great balance, and even though I might not be able to achieve the the level of heart involvement that I aspire to, and that she has, the book, the product of the book, I think brings that because it brings both of us, and I think it's melded uh, into a unified whole, um, as opposed to the populace of the United States.
0: Um, why the resurrected Jesus? Was this your idea or her idea? The why this topic?
1: Okay, let me real quickly. These first four Christian books I did. The first one was. And I won't give the names so I'm not trying to promote them. The first one was my faith journey. It's and okay apologetic. to
0: promote them. That's, that's what we're here for, David. Promote them. Yeah,
1: but, but I mean, I don't want to look cheap. I'm just saying, the first one was my faith journey and apologetic. Jesus on trial. You can get it at Amazon. No. And the second was the Emmaus Code, which is about Jesus in the Old Testament, all the prophecies and every other way he was in the Old Testament. Funny story, a Jewish friend of mine once said, what are you working on? I said another book. What book? I'm trying to avoid it. Kind of went conflict. And he goes, I said the Emmaus. goes, What's that about? Will you quit asking me questions, David. And he goes, I said. He go. Uh, I said it's about Jesus in the Old Testament. He goes. In the Old Testament, <laughs> you know, he's an Orthodox Jew, and he's going. What do you mean, Jesus in the Old Testament? And then I explained to him. Uh, but the the
0: next right there, David, if I may, uh, um, I don't know if she's she's watching or listening, Erica Moore. Who, if ever I am in Bible trivia, Erica Moore is on my team. But Erica Moore, who is uh, she's a biblical scholar, Old Testament, chiefly, um, who I was fortunate enough to have in uh, in graduate school, um, in uh, in seminary. And Erica would say this, David, to your point, to reinforce your your point. If you were writing a paper for her on Exodus, if on uh, uh, you know on Ezekiel, on on Second Chronicles, she would say that if an Orthodox Jew can, can read your paper, listen to your sermon, and agree with everything you say, you get an F. Mm. And what she meant by that was she was saying if you can't see Jesus in the text and you can't communicate that in your message, you get an F because but, Jesus is there in the text.
1: Good, that's, that's right in line with my thinking, and I don't see how you can be a Christian without thinking that. Um, not that not that that's a litmus test, but you know what I mean. People are blinded to it sometimes, I think, and ignorant about the Old Testament and, and run from it. But the next book, starting with the third book, I began going through the, the text of the Bible itself, and that the true Jesus, it was a compendium of the Gospels in chronological order, which is a difficult task, and then... Again, interspersing commentary with the text um, and and rephrasings of the text. Then the next one was continuing after the Gospels. You've got the book of Acts and the Apostle Paul's first six epistles. That's what Jesus is Risen was about. This book, uh, The Resurrected Jesus, is about the, the Apostle Paul's final seven epistles, the prison epistles which he wrote presumably from house arrest in Rome, and the pastoral epistles, which he wrote to his colleagues and understudies, uh, Titus and Timothy. So it's not, it wasn't a choice. What are we trying to, to, what point are we trying to make in this book or any of that? It's going through. It's like a commentary uh, of those seven epistles uh, in the New Testament. And so uh, it is, in addition to being a commentary, a lay commentary, because we're not scholars, it's also a devotional. It's kind of a a Bible study in in the form of a book, and uh, it's kind of like to me too. I think of it as Sunday school writ large. I taught Sunday school for a while, and you know, I because I came from a position of skepticism and became a believer after studying the evidence. And it's not blind faith, as the skeptics will say. There's overwhelming evidence, in my view, for Christianity's truth claims, uh, faith is still obviously essential and required. But what we mean by faith is another issue. But I, I think that the goal here is to try to introduce lay readers or new Christians or even advanced Christians, if they if they want some more scholarship and have access to more scholarship, because I've I've got access to uh, thirty one thousand plus books on my Logos uh, software, and every time I open them a passage, and I hit passage guide, it'll open up to over a 100 commentaries. And I have access to those, and I try to get the best, uh, the clearest explanation and put that in the text so that people will be, will have a better understanding of what the the text of the Bible is saying and also be treated to some of the greatest thinking throughout the uh, Christian era. You know, some of the the, the, uh, early Christian thinkers, the early church fathers and all that, and all the way through to the greatest thinkers today and put all those in. And so that's that's what we've done here. And again, there's no choice to—we're trying to make a point about uh, Christ's resurrection. We, we follow the text. Whatever the text talks about, that's what we talk about. Mm.
2: All right, so question. In our pluralistic culture, people often insist, as we're talking about God, that there are many paths, but Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. How would you square those two statements
1: um, i I think that sadly in our modern era that people want to please man instead of God, and there in our pagan secular culture, people have to fill the the void in their heart with something if they don't believe in God and so we see it in the form of environmentalism uh and <clears throat> various other New Age ideas, and this this elevation, this moral elevation of the idea of tolerance on the left, the secular left, the theological left, and the political left. Of course, by tolerance, they don't mean tolerance. They mean acceptance wholesale of their ideas and rejection and shunning of conservative and Christian ideas, which is another thing they do. They distort the language. And so... Um, what was the question? I'm getting myself off. What? Oh, well, oh, oh, how you reconcile. Yeah. So I think there, they're, uh, I think it's a, a very dangerous, demonic narrative that there are other ways to eternal life than Jesus Christ. Jesus said, as you quoted, on the way and the truth and the life, there's no other way to the Father except through me. He didn't say you can follow Buddhism, Islam, uh or uh, Hinduism, transcendental meditation, New Age ideas, some form of syncretism. He said, "I am the truth. Not I represent the truth, but I am the truth." And we believe in in salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And if and if the question isn't whether that's intolerant or whatever, the question is whether it's true. And if it is true, that means we have a moral duty, on its own, even apart from Christ. Commanding us in the Great Commission to go out and evangelize to the four corners of the earth to tell people that their eternal salvation depends upon Accepting that truth and embracing it and putting their trust for eternal life in in Jesus Christ If we go out for the sake of pleasing man or virtue signaling or pretending to be tolerant and say Oh, I think whatever you believe is fine. You can believe that You can chant your way into the kingdom that's fine. What we're really doing is contributing to their uh, eternal, I don't want to say eternal damnation, except that is what it is. And so why, how is that in any way moral for me, for the sake of being a nice guy, to tell somebody that they can believe whatever they want? Now, of course, they can believe whatever they want. And of course, I need to be winsome and tolerant and nice to these people, but I don't need to lie to them to distort the truth. And if it is true, and I firmly believe it is, I have a duty to say it, no matter how much it offends people. Christ didn't say he came to unite people in that sense. He came to divide, mother, father, brother, and sister. Why? Because he is the truth, and he knows that the, the ruler of darkness is controlling this world. And he knew that he was up against that, and we would always be up against that. You can't unite people whose goal it is to undermine everything that is good and true and moral And that brings order to the universe. And so that's what we see from the left inside and outside the church. We have a duty to stand up against it. Those two statements are not reconcilable to answer your question. Mm.
2: So you also speaking of uh, really with what we were just talking about, that spiritual warfare is really what our culture is going through right now. And our battle against invisible spiritual forces who have influence on our physical world. So how would you address skeptics who might say that these are fringe ideas and they're just euphemisms and ancient superstitions about ghosts and goblins and, you know, that's just crazy talk?
1: Yeah, and I used to think that too. And, you know, I never believed in the devil. That just seems so bizarre to me. But Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 and elsewhere, the, the, the spiritual forces that are behind the material forces in the universe, and that the real... The the moving reality, even though it's invisible, are the spiritual forces behind uh, what we're seeing. Now, I think it is manifestly obvious now that this is what's going on, because you can't explain what is going on, especially in modern-day America, well, globally, apart from spiritual influence. We have the celebration, not just the grudging acceptance, but the celebration of abject, outright objective evil the murdering of babies is glorified if you stand for the murder of babies you are celebrated in this culture as moral as morally superior if you oppose it if you champion life which and, and god is all about life satan is all about death if and, and we defeated christ defeated death in his on the cross if we if if you accept if you get this idea that uh this kind of evil is good then you are under these spiritual evil spiritual forces you have the celebration of the mutilation of children you have open borders leading to a hundred thousand fentanyl deaths you have the the deliberate sabotaging of our domestic energy uh sector which will force which is not only in obedience to this pagan idolatry of environmentalism but which also diminishes the United States, which is a beacon of freedom and religious liberty, and elevates China, which is godless and which, which is hell-bent on destroying us. So all of these things are evil, and yet you can't approach the people who, uh, who support these evil things on a logical basis because they think you're crazy. There is no way, try these days, to have a political debate with any... None of this matters, and I think it's because they're impervious. I think they're spiritually blind. One, one, one other thing I want to say is, as to this being a superstition, one, one of the most compelling proofs to me of the Christian worldview being true, the biblical worldview being true, is the pervasiveness of evil we see in the world. The biblical worldview tells us about man's fall. We were created in God's image, of course, but we fell. And there is evil throughout the world. And the evil is so so terrible and so pervasive that I can explain it no other way than through the dichotomy of good and evil that the Bible uh, sets forth. And, and and the more evil I see, the more convinced I am of the existence of God. What a paradox that is, But and what an ir- irony it is, but nevertheless, it's, it's, it's what I believe.
0: David, um, we need to take a break, but when we come back, I want to dig down into the evidence for the resurrection. You know, you speak of an abundance of evidence for the resurrection. So let's take a let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will dig into that just a bit. We're with our guest, author, lawyer, intellectual, David Limbaugh. We'll be back in just a moment.
1: This is the
2: Larry Alex Taunton show. Welcome back. We are with our guest, David Limbaugh, who is talking about his newest book, The Resurrected Jesus, which he co-authored with his daughter, Kristen Bloom. Um, it is a, I literally- You know who she works for? Fox News.
0: Well, specifically Fox News. Who does News. she
2: work for? The, one she of your works, favorite people?
0: She works for Sean Hannity.
2: Does she really? She does, doesn't she? How do I not know this? Yeah.
0: Yep, she's uh, she's with uh, she's with Sean Hannity. I've seen uh, some of David's um, uh, photos that he's posted on Twitter, and uh, yep, that's that's who she's with. David, um, you were talking about you know going online and um, you know reading this and that commentary and so forth. I'm just curious. Do you have any favorite commentaries? You know, ones yeah. that you've come to really trust.
1: I really like the life application commentary, Bruce Barton. I, He just, every time, I, I like MacArthur, even though I'm not a Calvinist. Um, I, and uh, I know, I know, I know what they say. <laughs> you know what's interesting is is I, and I misunderstood about this. I was on another podcast and said I'm not a, a you know, a hardcore five-point Calvinist. And I saw in the comments, somebody said I was being critical of Calvinism. I was not. Um, I'm just saying I'm not one, I'm being honest, although I think I'm a hybrid between Arminian and and Calvinist, and you probably think, well, you don't know enough about it to even, because if you think there can be a hybrid, you're crazy, and you don't understand, (laughs) it's probably true. But uh, I I, I could explain that, but no reason to. I don't think it's a salvation issue, even though it's about salvation. It's not a salvation issue, how you believe on that. And so uh, I just... uh, where did you ask me how I get off another No, yeah, I was I
0: was just saying <laughs> any favorite commentaries oh that, yeah yeah that you you know, have. The, in
1: this book I went back to the early church fathers which really there's so many of those guys I love it really is and I I explored it more this time than I ever had I like you know some of John Stott's books he isn't you you're familiar with John Stott oh man and um uh, and you know there there are so many. I mean, I could just I can't even describe. A lot of these systematic theology books I love, and uh, but the commentaries there are so many. Ff you know, Bruce Gordon Fee. I love.
0: I love Ff Bruce. So, so do anything I. by Ff Bruce.
1: He's ridiculously intellectual. Another book I was reading recently. It's not a commentary, but it's New Testament history, and, and Bruce writes. I think the definitive book on that, but this, uh, I think this uh, professor from Asbury, what is his name? Oh, I'll have to, I'll have to think of it later. But man, he's good too.
0: Ben Don Withings, Carson, ben D. A. Carson is another another great he one. Is. Ben, uh,
1: ben Witherington is the okay. guy. But not Carson's with great. I Packer, all these guys. The thing is, um, who's the who's the one that came out with a new new perspective on Paul that disappointed me? who got some of the greatest stuff on the resurrection, but...
0: Uh, uh, you're you know, talking about would... right, N.T. Wright.
1: Yeah, N.T. Yeah. right. That bothers me, that that deal. But,
0: yeah, I, uh, I agree with you on that. Let's talk about... David, I know that you are a scholar and uh, an expert on all the evidences for the resurrection. So I would, I'm just teasing you, David. I'm just setting you up there just a little bit. But seriously, just talking for a moment about the evidences for the resurrection... When you, how old were you when you became a Christian?
1: Probably mid-30s, even though we were raised as Christians. Okay,
0: Probably at real- some level, you had to you had to accept the credibility of the Christian faith. What would you say that you found compelling as a, as a guy in his mid-30s that you said, no, this is true? Well, the, the fact that
1: all these people, the disciples of, of Jesus, the apostles, were willing to die uh, based on what they witnessed and what they heard from people and their encounters with Christ and, and seeing the resurrected Jesus. Now, if he hadn't done what they uh, what he said he did, if he hadn't died and been resurrected, if he hadn't performed these miracles, there is no conceivable way they would have died for something they knew to be a lie. Uh, that's different from any other religion. I fully believe that Islamists who commit suicide Uh, because they believe they're going to be rewarded by Allah. They believe sincerely that these things are true, but they have no way of knowing if it's true because they didn't witness anything, and the people they rely on didn't witness anything, and there are no proofs that they witnessed anything. These guys knew. They they were in the flesh, and they saw it. They had nothing to gain. I mean, not one thing to gain. They put themselves into immediate positions of persecution and, and disrepute, and yet they stood against it, and they were cowards before, by the way. Peter denied Jesus three times, then after that, one of the foremost evangelists. Paul was a persecutor of uh, Christians as, a, as an Orthodox Jew, as the Hebrew of Hebrews, and after his encounter with Christ on the Damascus Road, became the most zealous uh, evangelist uh, throughout Christian history. And, and all these stories of people who martyred themselves for the sake of, uh, because of of their saving faith in Jesus Christ is compelling. And then you have all the witnesses, the eyewitnesses. Paul talked about 500 people at one time saw him, then two or three, then one, then another. It's not the kind of thing, it's not pat. Nothing in the Bible is pat. There There's these theological truths sprinkled through 66 books written over 1,500 uh, years with 40 different authors in different languages, and yet there's an integrated theme throughout. It had to have been the result of a divine conspiracy because humans couldn't have gotten together without a time machine, the people who wrote the Bible. It had to have been inspired by God. And so uh, all of these things uh, that the Bible talks about, uh, the, the, the New Testament authors talk about, and that Paul had, it, it is historically true that if uh, Paul was lying, these people who he claimed witnessed it could have come and totally contradicted him. And no one did. There's no evidence that anybody contradicted him. And there's also secular evidences, Josephus and and the rest, that that corroborate the existence of Jesus to the point where now no serious historian denies that the historical Jesus existed. We have no one in history who has ever come to divide history. Jesus literally came, and you have the uh, B.C. and A.C., based on his birth and death and so uh, th- there, there's no other th- there are so many profound things that occur and if you read the Bible the more you read the Bible and, and one motive I have and Kristen has in writing these books is to inspire people to read the Bible because I believe the Bible contains the power of conversion and, and so and, and it, it draws you closer to God and once you become a believer of course you even become closer because it's one of the spiritual disciplines it's it's the living Word of God. It is the inerrant, inspired, uh, wor- living Word of God that speaks to all of us. And when I finally became a Christian, it occurred to me, I'm holding in my hand the Word of God written through human agents. And it blew me away. And I, I, I looked at it with a reverence that I couldn't even imagine before. And that's when I became, began studying feverishly and reading it all I could. And and reading books about the Bible and theological books and the rest.
0: You know, I want to say to um, to our our viewers, to our listeners, people in uh, in Times Square who are watching us uh, there, that this is this. Why are you laughing, David? This is all completely true. Um, that this is what a phone conversation with David Limbaugh is like. He is a passionate guy. As a passionate guy, I appreciate David's passion when he gets going you know on these things David I couldn't agree with you more um that is uh it's it is awesome when you really and I listen from the perspective of a historian get, get this these are just little little tidbits I give you for free you know just the random, and we thank you uh, that, 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 that just things you pick up you know in your own study Uh, and in your your own experience that are trivia things that actually relate to our conversation. We have no first-hand sources for the existence of Alexander the Great. Zero. We have no second-hand sources for these. This is Robin Lane Fox. who is He would say, I'm not a biographer. He's a, a scholar of Alexander the Great. He would say, I'm not a biographer because... A biography of Alexander the Great is impossible, and he points out we have no first-hand sources for Alexander the Great, no second-hand sources for Alexander the Great. At best, we have third-hand sources that have come to us roughly two to three hundred years after uh, Alexander the Great's death. And he says, you know, he points out, and yet no one questions the existence of um, of Alexander the Great. Yaroslav Pelikan. Um, the, uh, the, the, the great uh, religious historian, he says that we have, quote an embarrassingly rich uh, uh, repository. I started to say a suppository, but that, that, <laughs> that's wrong. Uh, that would be the <laughs> so wrong, wrong word. We have an embarrassingly rich um, repository of um, a firsthand sources for the life of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's extraordinary and it's, it's kind of funny, to me, when there are some of these atheists who portray uh, themselves, they parade as intellectuals who want to bring into question the existence, the moment you bring into question the existence of Jesus Christ as a historical figure, which is different from them mm-hmm. questioning whether or not he's God. But note, in my mind, no credible intellectual argument can be had if you begin there. Mm-hmm. The, the, the real question isn't whether he existed it was did, who was he who he claimed to be and of course you decided that he was. We decided that he was and hence the reason that all of us became became Christians David as we uh, as we begin to wrap up our conversation about this book um, a, somebody who's who's thinking of buying this book what would you what would you want them to know? about the book.
1: Uh, okay. And let me add something, too. There's so many proofs. Look at the biblical, look at the, the prophecies of Christ. Stunning, stunningly accurate, hundreds of years, uh, in some cases thousands of years before uh, he existed. And, and, and so we didn't get a comprehensive list. So anybody that smart, eloquent lists this commentary, a lot of it's stream of consciousness. You have to understand, I didn't come through a prepared checklist, but I will be prepared, You, you doubters, next time if you want but, but so, so the issue isn't whether i can tick them off one by one the question is whether they're true and whether it happened and they did okay so what i want, i really i want to reiterate i i am so excited i i was so excited when i became a believer that when i finally gave the bible a chance when i finally uh, quit being a smart aleck and i wasn't really rebellious cuz i always believed in god you have to be a moron not to believe that uh, an uncaused cause created this because nothing can something can't come from nothing and despite what um your buddy richard dawkins says we didn't even if we came from multiverse and aliens dropped us who created them it's too stupid to even argue with that stuff it's 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 embarrassing for people that smart in their fields but but uh i want i want people i want the enthusiasm i had and still have for the bible being the living word of god from jesus christ being the the uh, the truth and the, the person the, the the second person of the Godhead, who became a human, he was enjoying a, 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 a eternal bliss in eternity past with the Father and Holy Spirit. They decided to create the human race, knowing that we would fall, knowing that there was no way other way, or that the best way was uh, no other way than to for the Son. To, be, to take on human form, to condescend to earth, to suffer all the indignities of human existence, which is worse by comparison than a man becoming an ant. And then to go through all that suffering, and then to die and then be bodily resurrected so that we, through faith in him, could be bodily resurrected. That's the kind of story of love and redemption that a human being couldn't come up with. It, it, you, 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 the, the existence of Jesus, the, hum, the, the, the person The fully human and fully divine picture depicted by the Bible could not have been created by the most imaginative, glorious fiction writer. It just couldn't happen. And so I want that enthusiasm that I have, you have, and we all have for the Bible as being the living word of God and for Jesus to be contagious and to inspire readers. If they're a little bit intimidated by the Bible, I want to help because books about the Bible have, have been uh, ind- indispensable, indispensably important for me to understand the Bible better. There's nothing wrong with us helping each other. In fact, we have a duty to help each other and to put it in understandable terms. I want to contribute to, to the extent that I can with my limitations to help people better understand it, overcome their intimidation, be inspired by the Bible, then read the Bible itself, then then practice the spiritual disciplines and become closer to christ because that's what it's all about so it's it's an ambitious goal but i can't be like ray comfort and go out and bang people over the head on the street corner because that's just not my personality i can't evangelize that well way so the way i try to uh, fulfill the great commission is to write these books and to, to talk to people on a more low-key level
0: well uh, i think you're doing a good job of that um david and um you know you'll know that um I think the same thing in terms of a strategy. You know, I, I think about my friend, uh, the late Christopher Hitchens. I mean, we yeah. argued and argued, but my goal was always to get him in the text, to get him in the text to where he's not arguing with me, but he's arguing with God uh, yeah. to take my personality, to take my political views uh, out of the conversation and say, look, we per- the text is neutral. And what I mean by that is I don't own it. The atheists don't, and none of us, it's God's word. And so we can approach that to jointly, read it, and discuss what do you think it means? You know, do you think that, that um, and in his case, I was reading, uh, leading him through a study of the gospel of John, do you read this text? We were going through the first 18 verses, the prologue of uh, John 1. Do you think that John is a crackpot? Or do you think that what he's saying here is credible? And only a crackpot will say that John is a crackpot. Because when you yeah. begin really mm-hmm. reading that text, That's you right. begin to go, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, this oh. is not the Marvel Comics caricature that I thought that it was. You That's discover that course. there's depth in the text. So for you to drive people to the text is is just awesome, David. And
1: thank you. And um, I, well, I, I think something else I want to allude to. There's not just an issue of whether uh, Jesus existed, which is really a non-issue. And then you said, "Then is he God? But there's another thing. A lot of people, the the, the higher critics of the Bible will say that he didn't even claim to be God. You cannot read the book of John and be intellectually honest and deny that he claimed to be God. I and the Father are one. Uh, I, I respect Jehovah's Witnesses. They're nice people, but they are so wrong about this. Jesus Christ is God. He's a, it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Another thing I want to say is that, and I don't want to say this because we haven't had a chance to uh, be together uh, on, on a public broadcast. I think Larry Taunton, Amy, was one of the best writers that I know, and that's how I was drawn to him. My, my I didn't even know Rush had read him. I mean, I knew, I heard, the but I the Taunton name didn't. When I read him later, after Rush died in one of his columns, it, it didn't say, oh, that's who Russ talked. I didn't remember the name. But I, I can't remember I contacted you or something or tweeted you. I think some of your writings, Larry, are, are the most, are the deepest and most profound. And I'm, I'm not saying that to blow smoke. You're not paying me to say it. I just think your, your listeners, your viewers, ought to know um, what a serious thinker you are and, and what a great communicator you are. And, and we don't even know each other that well. So, I, I, well, maybe you are going to pay me something. Yeah. But I, I just think that your, your people ought to know the people they ought to, if they haven't read your stuff, if they're exposed to you just through this, they ought to do one of two things or both either get on a phone call with you and, and pick your brain like I have, or read your stuff. Cause it's pretty, pretty amazing. The only problem is you don't write enough.
0: Well, David, I appreciate that. You know, I just finished a four part series for daily wire on the uh, the World economic Forum. and um I'll send you that. I uh, love when the we network. when Good we uh, when we when we get off, I will uh, I will send that to you. Uh, it's interesting, I don't write, you know, I don't write several columns a week or even a column a week. I uh, my wife and I Lori were talking about this last night, I try to weigh in thoughtfully. So I'm never that first guy, you know who says, you know, shooting, you know, on fifth in Maine. And, Main. and, uh, and, and I, I'm never that guy. I'm always, I always weigh in a couple of weeks later when I've had time to really process it mm-hmm. and think about it and hopefully have something that's worthwhile to say. But that's a great encouragement to me. Listen, it meant the world to me when your brother uh, on air, you know, uh, uh, called one of my columns brilliant. I was so grateful. And in a lot of ways, Rush kind of launched my writing career. I mean, your brother, we have him. He's part of the intro, you know, thanks to you, to this show. But, you know, when he talked about my article on air, Rush could have just taken those. And a lot of guys, you know, do this. He could have just taken the ideas from the article, not attributed them to anyone. Not only did he say my name, he spelled my name. (laughs) And then he told people... You know what my title was. The website that was so gracious of him to do that. So means a lot for me to uh, to me for you to say that, David.
1: Yeah. Did he? You're. Did he say Taunton in his radio voice that I used to make Larry
0: Taunton, T A (laughs) U N T O N. It was very funny.
1: When we were growing up, he made fun of me for my obviously persisting uh, nasal voice. (laughs) Uh, and I resent it to this day. Uh, <laughs> I'm still mad at him. And I made fun of him for always trying to perfect his... And he was... This guy was a, a genius in the making. He, he And he worked his head off from the time he was seven years old to become the world's greatest broadcaster. He earned it, I'm telling you. And he, I used to make fun... But what he was doing is getting getting rid of that Southeast Missouri twang. And he originally had that, you know, that folk phony... Radio voice because he was imitating Larry Lou J, but then once he got his confidence, when he really got his shows, that just melted away, and it was the Rush voice without the accent. Well, and I, again, I resented it for. Him. Well,
0: I got to, <laughs> I, I got to tell listeners this. I've already told you this story, David, but I've got to tell you know the the people in Times Square um, this story. I was at K, a KMOX, which was at one time a powerhouse yeah. radio station. Because totally. in, in Alabama, I could listen to KMOX broadcasting uh, St. Louis Cardinals games. Yep. So that's how the Cardinals kind of became, at one time, they were kind of America's team, really. Yeah. The heartland of America. Anybody who wasn't a Yankees or a Dodgers they fan.
1: Should, they still should be.
0: Yeah, because they were uh, they were uh, <laughs> uh, just a powerhouse. So anyway, I was sitting in their green room. I'm waiting to be called on air for uh, a guy's show, uh, Mark Reardon, um, for his show. Yeah, and while I'm sitting in the green room, I'm just walking around the room, and they have this framed letter from Rush Limbaugh on the wall, and it's—I don't know the year, 1983 or something. You could uh, probably yeah. guess it, David, but it's a—it's a, the kind of letter your dad would tr- teach you how to write, to do perfect. Nobody does this anymore, but this was a very professional approach to an interview, and it was him saying, writing to them very formally and saying. Thank you very much, Mr. So and So, for the interview yesterday at KMOX. I'm so sorry that you do not have a uh, a place for me at your station at this time, but I hope that you'll you'll remember me in future. And uh, best of luck to you. And you know, thank you so much for your time and, and interviewing me. So as I'm reading this letter, Mark Reardon walks in, and he sees me reading it, and I said, "Hey." Rush Limbaugh applied for a job here? He said, yeah, we hang that on the wall to remind ourselves what idiots.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What idiots we are. Because
0: Uh, we turned him down. Because at that time, nobody knew who Rush Limbaugh was. And he says then, of course, and and when I'm doing this interview, Rush was very much alive and I had a daily audience of what? 22, 23 million, something like that. Yeah, Yeah. It was great. I love that story, though.
1: Yeah. So... I really appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, if you want to learn something about politics sometime, I'll come back because I'm (laughs) I'm brilliant on politics.
2: Well, absolutely, then. And listen, if uh, anyone would like to get a jump on the holiday season, go ahead and purchase the Resurrected Jesus, uh, you know as you're listening that you have family, uh, you have friends, your heart is burning because you think, I know th- that this friend would really enjoy reading this Good and Christmas gift. pointing them into getting into the Word. Uh, do it by buying this book, and um, thank you so much for coming on with us today. And we will. We'll have you back, and we'll talk about politics yeah, next absolutely. time.
0: And, and yeah, I'll make I'll... sure that the tech is, you know, is very difficult again.
2: Absolutely. Maybe even so worse.
0: Consistent. Although I'm sure that all the difficulties at the beginning
1: of this were all your fault. So uh, if if we talk about politics, my head will explode. I've got to make sure my life insurance is in there. <laughs> you can have two Diet Cokes beforehand.
0: <laughs> David, great to have you, buddy. Nice.
2: Appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Turn out the lights. The party's over. They say that all. Ladies and gentlemen, we are grateful for the standing ovation, but there will be no encore for today's performance. Please exit the building in an orderly fashion. Thank you. Honey, can we leave now?